Today we continue in our series through the Ten Commandments. If you saw this week's sermon preview, you know that I've got a basic question when we come to the second commandment. What's the big deal? Listen once again for God's word from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses convened all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I am addressing to you today. You shall learn them and observe them diligently. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the fire. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to declare to you the words of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so what's the answer? What's the big deal about the second commandment? You shall not make for yourself an idol. After all, idols were commonplace in the ancient Near East, in Egypt, in Mesopotamia, in Canaan. Idols were fashioned after people, bulls, lions, tigers, eagles. They were made out of wood, stone, and metal. They were representations of their God. What's the big deal? Idols reminded people in a tangible, visible way of the presence and power of their God in their lives. So that in times of drought, in times of starvation, in times of pain and crisis, the people could actually hold and see a representation of their God. Idols were an exceptional source of inspiration and strength and comfort and reassurance. Idols reassured the people that they were not alone. They were protected by a power far greater than they. So what's the big deal? Perhaps idols can be compared to the American Express card. You remember the old commercial, don't leave home without it. Is that true for you? I don't have an American Express card, but when I leave home, I like to have at least one credit card with me. When I'm walking from the mats down to the church, going for a stroll in the park, going to the mat to enjoy Monet one more time, I like having my credit card with me. I, I might want to take a cab. I might want to buy a cup of pistachio gelato. But it's more than something silly like that. When I have my credit card with me, when I have access to financial resources, I, I, um, is this true for you? I somehow feel more uh, comfortable, secure, confident in the world. 
I go on vacation and the temperature unexpectedly plummets, no problem. I'll buy a sweatshirt. I miss a, con a connecting flight, no problem. Flip out the plastic and make another reservation. Nathan, my son, has a headache that he just can't shake, no problem. Use that credit card and buy some Advil. Credit cards give us a certain sense of comfort and confidence and security when we are in the world, and idols do the same thing. They provide reassurance, just, just in case something might happen. And, and what's, what's the harm? What if my spouse and I want to have a child, but no child is given to us? What is the harm in holding, carrying, rubbing an idol to a god of fertility? But what if my neighbor is deathly ill? But what is the harm in burning some incense to a god of health and wholeness? What's the big deal? Well, when we turn to idols, quite frankly, we become God, and we have turned the Lord our God into our subject. Idols, after all, are crafted with human hands. They can be carried around. Idols, by their very nature, are designed to suit and accommodate our needs, and there's the danger. Al Wynn, the former president at Louisville Theological Seminary, has said, we want a God we can get our hands on. A God who will always be there when we need him. A God we have made for ourselves. We are forbidden from making an idol, a representation of God, because God will not be controlled or manipulated. God is free and sovereign. As God says to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on those to whom I show mercy. A credit card can be an idol. A career can be an idol. Even a church can be an idol. In our consumerist culture, we tend to evaluate institutions and organizations by one particular question. What's in it for me? We are in danger then of reducing the church to nothing more than a provider of spiritual needs and services and goods. And we ask the question over and over again, how is the church tending to my needs? How is the church tending to my wants and desires and aspirations? When we do so, then we might, we might tend to look at worship as an opportunity for us to recharge our spiritual batteries. When we leave, we want to be lifted up and empowered and there's something right about that. But more than anything else, worship is when we pour ourselves out and give of ourselves to God in worship through praise and adoration. We might, we might, when we turn the church into an idol, be tempted not to evaluate any church decisions, programs, and ministries by a biblical or theological standard, but by whether or not I agree with it or if it's good for me, or convenient to me. When we are in danger of turning the church into an idol, we, we see the church as 
providing the answers to our questions about life and meaning and purpose, rather than the church being that called community that gathers to discern what the real important questions are to begin with. When Henry Sloan Coffin was the pastor of Madison Avenue in the early 20th century, hundreds of children from the community flocked to this sanctuary. Hundreds, and they sat up in the balconies, our balcony at the front of the church. The children even competed with one another to see who could bring the most children the following week. At one point, there were at least 700 children on the roll. And every time a child came, Reverend Coffin or another pastor or a member of the staff or a member of the congregation would visit the home of that child to meet the parents. He did this in part to make sure that the child had permission to participate in the life of that congregation. But even more importantly, Dr. Coffin visited these families to invite the family, to invite the mother and the father to come and join with the gathered community in worship and service. One Sunday morning, a little girl was accompanied by her governess to worship. And that week, Dr. Coffin went to visit the family. The butler answered the door. He presented the butler with his card. He disappeared. He came back a moment later and said, I'm sorry, the lady of the house does not know you. He said to the butler, please tell her that I'm Henry Sloan Coffin and that I'm the pastor of Madison Avenue. A few minutes later, the butler came back, led him in, and he sat down with the mother of the child. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I know that she went to church. We, we won't. We want her to have some religious training. Well, that's good, Dr. Coffin went on. Uh, that's good, we're glad to hear that. But we also invite you, mother and father, family, to come and participate with your daughter in worship and service and learning and fellowship. Oh, no, 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 no. That would be impossible, said the woman. No, no, uh, my social calendar is quite too full. And Dr. Coffin stood up and said, I'm sorry, but it is not advisable for us to accept your daughter as a pupil. And he started to walk towards the door. And the woman, within a matter of seconds, said, no, 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 no. We will do everything we can to be there. Dr. Coffin, even in the beginning of the 20th century, was pushing back against this consumer approach to church in which we sent our children to a congregation to get fixed, their religious upbringing. One Sunday, an older member of my congregation stopped me after worship and, and they said, we have a grandchild and we would love for you to baptize her one Sunday morning. And I said, yes, let's talk about that. I need to speak with your son or daughter, the parents of the child, but let, yes, yes, let's do that. Oh, well, well, they really can't come for worship. They don't get up that early on Sunday mornings. Could you just do it in the sanctuary after worship? And I said, no, I am so sorry. No, we, we can't do that. Baptism is a celebration for the entire country, for the entire congregation to enjoy. And no, but what did they want? They wanted the church to serve their needs, to meet their desires, to tend to their expectations. And whenever we approach the church with that kind of attitude, 
Rather than thinking about the purpose and the meaning and the vision and the mission of the church from a biblical or theological perspective, we are in danger of turning the church into an idol. Whenever we want the church to tend to my needs, to fit comfortably into my expectations of what church should be, we have turned the church into an idol. When we want the church to do nothing more than affirm what I already believe about Jesus, we have turned the church into an idol. When we settle for a privatized faith that never challenges the status quo of racial injustice, that never laments the reality of human trafficking, that never advocates on behalf of the elderly, the orphan, the resident alien, we, we have turned the church into an idol. Our danger, though, is not simply in turning the church into an idol. Sometimes we are even tempted to turn our faith into an idol. The theologian John Killinger has said, religious people have a way of thinking that God belongs to them. We think of him in certain ways and act out, our, act out our dealings with him in certain rituals. And before we can say Constantinople, we assume we all know about him and what he wants and how he behaves. We may not make actual graven images of God, but we do reduce him in our minds to images that are just as small and limited. We make God too small. For many, many years, I received in my mailbox week after week prop propaganda. That, that's the only word I, I, I can use. Uh, propaganda from the extremes of our denomination, the far left and the far right. Day after day, thousands of trees were killed just to send me their propaganda. They differed on a number of issues. But what they had in common is that they were both convinced that they were right. Instead of dialogue, they wanted monologue. Instead of listening, they wanted to talk. They were fully assured that they had rightly, correctly, and faithfully discerned the mind of God. Whenever we become too confident in our faith, too sure about God's ways, too comfortable with what we perceive to be right and true and just. When we think we can speak unambiguously for God, we have turned our faith into an idol. This commandment then invites us to cultivate a certain humility when we approach the throne of grace. It reminds us that none other except Christ has seen the face of God, and we would do well to remember that. What then do we do when we deeply yearn to see the image of God? What then do we do when we are craving some kind of comfort or reassurance in a world that too often seems so dangerous and frightening? 
Instead of turning to idols, God invites us to turn to the true representation of God on earth. And who was that? You. When we place our trust in an idol, we have turned away from God's representatives on earth, a community of people who have committed to love one another, challenge one another, walk with one another, laugh with one another, cry with one another. My favorite line out of Les Miserables is, to love another person is to see the face of God. And so whether we are online or here, when we welcome others in a spirit of love, we have celebrated the image of God. When we stand compassionately but firmly beside those who are struggling with addiction, we have celebrated the image of God. When we reach out to those who are hungry and provide them food, to those who are poor and provide them clothing, when we reach out to the lonely and provide them companionship, when we see in them the very face of Christ, and then we have celebrated the image of God on earth. And one church that I serve, the congregation rightly, justifiably, celebrated and felt good for the money they gave to various mission projects, both in our community and around the world. Hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. And that was a good thing. They had every right to feel good and proud of that. But when I was there, my wife Deb was also on staff, and we tried to help them to see that mission, reaching out to others, was more than writing a check. It was developing relationships with people and seeing them face to face. And then one member said, well, what can we do? What can we do to show the love of Christ in our community? Oh, I've got it, said another person. Let us prepare a meal and take it to the emergency room of the hospital to feed them and the EMTs. And that's exactly what this church did. They came from all ages. Children were there peeling carrots. Youth were putting chicken onto a tray. Older adults were making desserts. Younger adults were washing dishes. And then they gathered all this wonderful food up, carried it over to the hospital, and the staff at the hospital and the emergency room and all the MT EMTs had a feast. Later that week, as a member of the church was going through the supermarket, a woman stopped her and said, don't I know you? I, 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 I don't know. Uh, weren't, weren't you a part of that group from that church that brought us dinner the other night? Oh, yes, 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 that, that was my church. You know, she said, 
I'm a nurse. I work weekends. I don't go to church anywhere. But if I were to go to church, I would go to yours. Do not create for yourself an idol. And my, oh my. Just imagine what the church can accomplish when we celebrate the image of God in one another and in our neighbor.